This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you're staying over from the first hour, thank you so much. Glad to have you. If you're new to the show or just coming on this hour, welcome. Uh, the lights are out in here, which uh, has prompted me to... Uh, <laughs> I can't see you, actually. <laughs> I know. The lights went out. Turn out the lights, sweet darling, for tonight it's all the way. There's my song for you. <laughs> um, I can see I can see you, but uh, anyway, that's okay. Uh, so we have uh, another hour of uh, sex talk for you. Uh, I do hope you've put the children to bed because we've been talking about this for the last hour and we continue to do so. Uh, so in this part of the program, we're going to be talking about sleeping with the enemy. How do you know that you are in love perhaps with or just having sex with a narcissist? I have uh, some signs to share with you. Also going to be talking about the drug of denial in the white collar professions and why that is a big problem. Also, I'm uh, going to be talking about uh, how we can deliver better care potentially on our labor and delivery units to moms and their new babies. And um, but first, I uh, Matt, if you'll help me out here, I wanted to. Uh, I get lots of emails from you, and I am going to read some of your emails. But uh, the one I'm going to start out with is from a a very nice person, I do believe, who uh, wanted to help out a caller from last week. So let's hear the the call from last week from Marion. Matt, thanks. That's a problem. Um, You know, uh, that was a tough call. And um, I did speak to Marion after the show, and uh, she elaborated a little bit further on on things that were going on in her life. But what I was really struck by was a listener out there who bothered to write in to me and say, uh, Dear Maureen, hopefully you can pass this message on to the lady that lives in Aldergrove, July 9th, 2017. I'm a male, but I think I'm going through a difficult time like she was. I was a husband in an ever-increasing psychologically abusive relationship. Marion is going through the same thing, except opposite of me. Please, Marion, listen to me if you can. You have done nothing wrong. If you feel there is no sexual desire, it is because of him, not you. The same thing happened to me, and I am a guy, writes this listener. I hope this can get relayed to you, as I can't find the numbers to the show, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell, but... But now more than ever, you need your time. You need to realize that you are beautiful and now free of the things that were hurting you. Your soon-to-be ex is the loser, not you. Empower yourself now. You said you have friends there for you, so don't waste their love for you and don't waste your love for them. Life is not a redo, so please seize the day, Marion. I wanted to phone in when I heard you because you hit home with me. Please don't fret about things. They will get better. And between you and me, if your soon-to-be ex isn't living at home, cut him off. He doesn't deserve you. Signed, George. George, thank you so much. Uh, George also writes, I hope all goes well for you and for me in my crisis. Um... I have uh, Kevin on the line, who I believe wants to talk about this issue as well. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, hi. I wanted to thank you for having me on. And um, I, I caught a little bit of your show when um, 
when that lady called in. And uh, I, I, too, was trying to find the number. I called in. It just rang and rang. So hearing this fellow write in um, inspired me to call. And I just wanted to say, basically, I echo his thoughts. I was in a, a very rough relationship, and my heart instantly went out to uh, to this lady um, because I, I recognized the same same situation. Um, I had no sexual desire. Um, I, I thought it was me, and it was just a really toxic relationship. And I wanted to let her know through through you, if it's okay, that uh, she is on the road to recovery. She's making the right decisions by calling in and by asking questions and by looking to solve this. And uh, I luckily did get myself out of it. And at the time, I didn't think it would ever get better. And it was the best decision I made in my life. And wow. I wanted to let her know that when she finally gets to that point, she'll look back and and be so proud and so confident that she's made that decision. And so I, I wish her the best. I really wanted to share that. Well, Kevin, I cannot thank you enough for calling in. I, I am verklempt. I am. Uh, it's so wonderful and generous of you to call in and share your story like that. Um, was this, you know, and, and both of your call and, and this letter, both from men, we think we typically think of abusive relationships as the man is abusing the woman, but it certainly happens the other way, and it happened to you. It, it does, and and that sometimes is is as difficult, or sometimes harder, because we 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 sometimes don't have that support group. Um, but the one thing that really strikes me is that when people do look for help, and and she's done this, and this fellow I'm sure has done this as well. As you come through it and you see that other people do care, um, one day you look back and you want to give back. You, you want to help others, and, and we're not alone. Um, we, we feel that way when we're going through it. Of course. Um, how, did but, you, how did you leave? How did you take the steps to get the help that you needed? Um, I, I finally just had enough. I was at the, the last 1%. Um, you know, you give and you give and you give, and you, you put up with things that you shouldn't. And I finally was at that last 1%, and I thought, I can't do this any longer. I, I either have to give up that last 1%, which is mine, um, and go a direction that I don't think any human should, or, or I have to stand up for myself. And, and I said, that's it. I'm, I'm done. You reached your tipping um, point. May I ask you if you had children? Yeah, and that, that made it harder um, that- because it was it, it got much worse. <laughs> it's funny. Things don't always get better right away. Right. Um, but, and again, just speaking to what she's going through, the hardest things um, in your life, the worst experiences in your life, quite often when you look back, they were actually the best things to happen because you move on, you, you make your life better. I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, there's have- always a silver lining in those black clouds. Yeah, and I, I've got a partner now who takes really good care of me and somebody who really appreciates what I'm contributing to the relationship. And, and I've grown and I've healed, and now I'm able to give back to society and, and help others. And it, it's really become a positive thing. Um, if I hadn't gone through that, maybe I wouldn't have done these things. So. And you sound solid and confident and fantastic. Yeah. How long ago was this experience for you? Oh, gosh, this was probably, I'm going to say about 12, 14 years ago. It was quite a long time ago, and it's the road to recovering. I'm still having little bumps here and there, but, uh, you know, the people around me, I, I've found out have gone through many, many things, similar guys and girls, and um, and nobody really talks about it. But as a society, we seem to be really taking care of each other slowly. It's becoming a very healing process, and and you're doing your job. Everybody seems to kind of contribute. It's really nice. 
It certainly is. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your call. It's it was it was just so great. And you know, I imagine it would is so much harder for men because you're you're meant to be the masculine one and and not you know the stronger sex, if you will. And how can you let a woman do that to you? I would imagine with some of your fears and some of the shame. And and you know, to be honest, um, not actually even knowing it was going on um, when you're when your caller called in, it was really ringing bells. She's doubting herself. She's saying, you know, hey, is this really going on? Is this me? Is it? And when you're going through it, you don't realize right what you're actually going through. And then years later, you look back and go, wow, yeah, this is not healthy. Yeah, great point. But you know, great experience to bring into the next relationship. And it sounds yeah. like you certainly processed the pain and and got the help that you needed. And are, and I'm so happy you're in a loving relationship. And and more than happy that you could share that story with me and the listeners tonight. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Kevin, for doing what you're doing. I appreciate that. Uh, do you love the listeners or what? I mean, really, <laughs> I'm going to cry. Yeah, this is that. that this is this is pretty pretty amazing. Right pretty here. amazing. I mean, I was really amazed at this letter from George, and uh, and now I'm pretty amazed uh, by Kevin's call as well. So you know, never underestimate the human spirit, right? I think it's also really important to speak out when you need help because. It I've is. gone through the same things. I mean, my relationship ended a while back, but when I finally went to speak to somebody, I realized I was hanging on to things that not only were not there, that were just completely made up by me. Like, yes, exactly. And uh, and it can be just so painful. So uh, we, we're in this world to help each other out. And uh, and I, I really firmly believe that it's it's human nature to want to help other people. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I've got the mood lighting on here in the studio. <laughs> it is dark. It's 50 shades of pink behind you right now. It certainly is, yes. It's 50 shades of gray inside, of black inside this uh, studio. But that's okay because we're still going to be talking about all of these subjects that are so important. And you know, uh, so many subjects are associated with stigma. We judge other people. We don't know what, you know, we don't know uh, what their past has been, what their experience has been. We don't know. We never walk in anyone else's shoes exactly, and it's hard to know. And so sometimes we we are as human beings. We're judgmental and we're impatient. And and uh, but uh, there's something. I think uh, we have a big problem uh, in this province with uh, mental illness and addiction in particular. We have a multitude of fentanyl deaths in this province. It's only growing and getting worse. The numbers were higher in the month of June. Um, Many, many people are trying to deal with it. But we associate or we seem to associate addiction with marginalized people or people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Well, I was struck by an article from the New York Times today, um, and it was called The Lawyer, The Addict. But I wanted to read you a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Discourage litigation. Persuade your neighbors to compromise whenever they can. As a peacemaker, the lawyer has superiority opportunity of being a good man or woman. There will be business enough, Abraham Lincoln. It would appear that denial is yet another illicit drug in the legal profession and other high-browed careers. We don't associate white-collar professionals with drug addiction, 
But in my work, I've learned that drug and alcohol use and or abuse does not discriminate. It's in the suburbs. In this particular article, this uh, the ex-wife found this lawyer dead when she hadn't heard from him. He was still part of her family, she said. She was as surprised as anybody to find, find him surrounded by drug paraphernalia. There were many things in his life that this particular lawyer who was chronicled in this article, there were many things in his life that were strange or odd. One of them was that he, when he was married, and he had a couple of children, when he was married, he never showed pictures of his family in his office. And I would venture to guess that there's another reason that he didn't show pictures aside from the reason he gave her, and that was he didn't want to, he didn't want his clients to feel that he was too focused on his family. But anything that makes us feel good can be an addiction. And so I would venture to guess that the reason he didn't share his family pictures in his office was that there may have been sex addiction as well. A drug is a drug is a drug. It's designed to make people feel better about themselves. 60 to 70% of overdoses occur in the white picket homes with pillars in our suburbs all over North America. Mental health and addiction both need a large dose of destigmatization. This article was uh, eye-opening in terms of the uh, how much uh, how, how little we know about drug addiction and and how we've allowed an entire segment of the population to sort of get away with it, if you will, or not be tarred with this brush, and that is people in higher socioeconomic backgrounds or from higher socioeconomic backgrounds. We hear every now and again somebody from a wealthy family may have OD'd, but that's an outlier, we think. We think the stress of a job is perhaps a lawyer finally gets to somebody or that somebody is bipolar because when people are using substances, they act crazy. At one point, they can be screaming and irritable and irrational, and then very soon thereafter, they can be remorseful and sad. Uh, in this particular article, which I implore you to read, and I have posted it on LinkedIn, and I will also post it on Twitter as well, uh, there's a lawyer who, uh, there were many, many signs of addiction, but his wife didn't know, his, and his ex-wife didn't know. She'd known him for 30 years. They were married for 20 um, he was number one in his class at law school. He was the valedictorian. Um, he didn't eat well. He was incredibly thin. He had uh, he sustained himself on fast food, snacks, coffee, ibuprofen, and antacids. Not uncommon because things are irritated in the esophagus. There are physical symptoms. But there's so much denial, and of course, addicts lie. I'll continue this conversation when I come back from the news. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, hosting this program for you. Do not forget that we do have uh, a little the um, tickets to the um, three plays over at the Ensemble Theater. 
uh, one of which is In the Next Room, which we talked about earlier in the program, A Prayer for Owen Meany, and Master Class. So you get to see all three plays. So give us a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell to win those tickets. Um, I was talking before the break about an article that I saw in the New York Times today, and, and it struck me because... It was about addiction, but it was about the death of a lawyer, a very prominent lawyer and a very successful lawyer um, in from the U.S. who was found surrounded by paraphernalia, drug paraphernalia, and he died of a drug overdose. And I, I work with um, people in with addiction, uh, and, and I have done so for a number of years, and there are certain things about addicts, I know that addiction does not discriminate. I know that uh, white-collar professionals certainly can be addicts just as much as people from marginalized areas or of lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So um, this may surprise people because we often think, well, if they have a lot of money, if they're successful, they're probably not an addict. And, And this struck me because this woman who was married to her husband, um, for 20 years and knew him for 30. They did split up after they had two children, but did split up. She never thought to ask, are you using drugs? In part because people get a free pass because they are a professional, because they are successful, because they wear the white collar and live in the white pillar home in the suburbs. But about 60 to 70 percent of, I'm, I'm told by one of the executives at one of the health authorities, 60 here in British Columbia, 60 to 70 percent of the drug overdoses occur in the suburbs. That might surprise you because we think it occurs elsewhere in Vancouver and other cities, but that is not necessarily the case. We don't even ask the question, and she never asked the question. She missed a lot of the signs, a lot of the signs. He was working excessively, the stress of the job. Um, and this is a lot of jobs today. They're, you know, we're constantly on emails and having to be. Um, plugged in and um, answering, uh, you know, serving clients. And, you know, lawyers start out as wanting to change the world. And this is one of the problems. In law school, they are taught about uh, how to suppress emotions. And, you know, with any emotion, you need to feel the pain. You need to process the. If it's a tough emotion in, in particular, you know, much as you feel joy and, and love to experience that joy, you also got to feel the pain in life. Um, but, uh, just one moment. We have Christine on the line. She's the 69th caller. Hello, Christine. Hi. How are you? Really good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So I have, uh, this ticket series for you. You've won. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, me yeah. too. I really wanted to see the next room. Yeah. And, um, I understand it's sort of Freudian based or Sarah Rule, who's a feminist writer. She, um, they did a play at UBC. It was an MFA. It was a directed thesis on Eurydice, the myth. And um, so I have a feeling this play may have something to do with mythology, but I'm not quite sure. Oh, well, we'll soon find out, won't we? Yes, yes. <laughs> indeed. Well, thanks for listening to the show, and congratulations. Enjoy the shows. Okay, well, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, so we're just getting back to uh, talking in particular about lawyers, and I wanted to talk about a study, uh, one of the most comprehensive studies of lawyers and substance abuse was 
released just seven months after this particular lawyer called Peter died. It was in 2016, and it came from the Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation and the American Bar Association. It analyzed the responses of 12,825 licensed practicing attorneys across 19 of the United States. Overall, the results showed that about 21% of lawyers qualified as problem drinkers, while 28% struggle with mild or more serious depression, and 19% struggle with anxiety. Only 3,419 lawyers answered questions about drug use. That's only 25% answered the questions about the drug use, and that is telling. Because it is left to speculation what motivated 75% of the attorneys to skip over the section on drug use as if it wasn't there. And some might speculate that these lawyers, these attorneys, as they're called in the U.S., were afraid to answer. Of the lawyers that did answer those questions, 5.6% used cocaine, crack, and stimulants. 5.6% used opioids. 10.2% used marijuana and hash. And nearly 16% used sedatives. 85% of all the lawyers surveyed had used alcohol in the previous year. And for comparison's sake... In the general population, about 65% drinks alcohol, so it's a statistically significant higher uh, rate of people who, of lawyers who consume alcohol as compared with the general population. So uh, also within the legal um, industry, the law industry, the law firms, you know, it's, it's, it's a secret society, really. It's um, as long as people are performing, as long as people are doing their work, they don't want to get involved. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to um, have a negative connotation um, about somebody. That's pretty common in the law profession as well. But I think what's even more important is even asking the question. This this woman was married to this man for 20 years and knew him for 30. And, and the last thing on earth she says in the article, she never, ever dreamed it was drugs because he was smart. He was educated. He was valedictorian. He loved music. He loved philosophy, had a real appreciation for that. Um, So this is something that we have to start thinking about if we want to make this a better society. We have to stop being judgmental, basically, and thinking it's lower socioeconomic. And we need to help everybody in this society. We need to understand that if your partner, your spouse, your child, somebody in your family, somebody that you love, that you care about, a friend is losing an excessive amount of weight, being incredibly anxious, irritable, not able to perform at work, um, having you're having excessive amounts of problems in your relationship, um, they may be using drugs. And Amongst attorneys in particular, and this is not limited to attorneys, this is white-collar professions, but but there's a particular problem amongst lawyers because lawyers use prescription medications initially to settle things down, to calm things down, um, and that is a gateway to street drugs. It used to be mostly alcohol, but now uh, most of the lawyers that go in for treatment, into treatment programs, even if they drink, they are using drugs as well. And what are they using? They're using Xanax, a sedative, Adderall, medications typically prescribed for um, ADHD, 
opiates, cocaine, and crack. And opiates and stimulants often go hand in hand with alcohol. And you know what? There's a tolerance that's built up and people need more medication and they may, they need their drug more and more and more because the amounts they were using was not satisfying uh, to them. And so the the need increases as time goes on. But denial is a drug and denial plays a role here in that we just think... White-collar people have it all going on, and we just can't imagine that they would be using or abusing drugs. We see it in in the nursing profession, in the medical profession, in the dentistry profession, and, of course, we see it in the legal profession as well. We see it in every single profession. Drug addiction does not discriminate. And, And, of course, there's an underlying, likely an underlying condition that might be being treated. Maybe they don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel as successful. They may have been um, abused as a child. There may be lots of reasons. But um, also, the more they treat themselves with illicit substances, and um, especially alcohol and cocaine and, and Xanax, and they mix it all together, their, of course, their conditions get worse, and people will often misdiagnose them as being bipolar. You'll hear their family members perhaps saying, maybe maybe she's bipolar, maybe he's bipolar. Um, a lot of lawyers, uh, according to this particular article, were only able to perform their job by using cocaine to deal with the alcohol withdrawal symptoms. Alcohol withdrawal is a dangerous medical condition. It can lead to seizure activity and death. Uh, so people really need to look at their drinking, what they're drinking. You know, alcohol is legal. The other drugs I've mentioned are not, and that's why it's accepted by society. And people who drink love to drink with other people. They love other people to join them in drinking. Um, but oftentimes people who are having a problem with drinking, they are drinking alone. Uh, they are self-medicating alone. Uh, they have uh, such a shame that they can't get the help that they need, and there certainly is a stigma with um, in society about people who can't perform or people who use drugs or may have mental illness. So, um, you know, I was uh, reminded of a of a beautiful expression from the Dalai Lama, people were created to be loved, things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here. We're touching upon some uh, pretty serious subjects tonight. Uh, And I just want to say that if you want any guidance in terms of uh, getting help that you may need or you're thinking about it, by all means, you can email me in confidence at nursetalk at hotmail.com. Um, and, uh, you know what, it just takes that one small step. I'm not, I may not be the one to help you, but I can certainly guide you in the right direction. Um, so, or if you're somebody that is living with somebody with addiction or mental illness, um, I certainly have a fair bit of experience in that field and, um, have certainly guided a lot of people in the right direction to live a full beautiful, magnificent life. You got to do the work sometimes, people. You got to do the work. 10% of the population is self-actualized. That means living to their potential. And one way is just processing your pain and and accepting yourself and truly loving yourself uh, with all of your flaws. And uh, because uh, sometimes the beauty is in the flaws 
and we learn from our mistakes and we learn from uh, our negative and dark and bad experiences like we heard from Kevin earlier in the program. Um, but I want to, uh, you know, lighten it up a little bit. Uh, I'm a former head nurse. And so this particular research study out of the Harvard School of Public Health um, in the Brigham and Women's Hospital, a hospital I'm fairly familiar with, um, they talked a little bit about uh, cesarean sections because they were wondering why in America has cesarean section rates increased by 500%. Uh, in this past generation. That's a significant amount. Well, it may have something to do with how labor and delivery units are managed. And we certainly see that here in British Columbia as well. Although the healthcare system is very different in the U.S., they're very much focused on performance, financial performance. Um, We here are focused a little bit on saving money, budgets, cutting the budget, cutting back on things. So there's sort of a proactive and a reactive approach to um, delivering programs, these programs we have in our healthcare system, and one of those is the labor and delivery um, system. And maternal health outcomes can vary dramatically across different hospitals, whether in the U.S. or Canada. Um, and, and this can have an, an impact on cesarean section delivery rates. And some might beg the question, or might, some might ask the question, like Magnus Murphy, who's, who's written a great book on cesarean sections, he's an OBGYN, is it bad medicine? Uh, because there is less of an impact on the pelvic floor um, than a vaginal delivery, and, um, and certainly there are other um, benefits to having a planned cesarean section versus a, um, a vaginal delivery. But that may be for... Yet another program. Um, so it, it's uh, it's important to realize that how care is delivered, um, whether it's proactive or reactive. And you would think that the proactive would result in a proactive nursing culture, for example, um, would result in better health outcomes and shorter length of stay. But it does not. In fact, a reactive approach may be better. But, of course, patient flow and putting more nurses in because nurses have assessment skills that are key, that are critical to the health of the mother and the baby. And having more nurses on the labor and delivery units may, in fact, be associated with uh, better health outcomes. So we don't want to focus on neonatal outcomes necessarily or financial performance. Those are two things that we don't want to. They do not align with maternal well-being. Of course, we want all babies to be healthy and to, and some may require a special care nursery, um, but it's also uh, those assessment skills of nurses are key. So um, you know, uh, women, we can't, we can't determine necessarily when a baby is going to be born. And there's certainly, there are risks, uh, associated with having a baby in a hospital. Um, of course there's postpartum hemorrhage, blood transfusion, and, and as I mentioned, prolonged length of stay, which actually costs the system more, but, um, it's, it's counterintuitive to think that a reactive approach is better, but it's certainly not necessarily the proactive approach that we, that we think if we, if we put in, it in place and we plan for it, give everybody epidurals, try and, you know, um, tar everybody with the same brush, that's not necessarily going to work. Um, so we all want to focus on the health of the mother and the baby. So have the same goals is, um, what to, um, what to focus on. Okay, so you're probably wondering uh, if you are sleeping with the devil because that uh, can happen, certainly, and you don't even realize it. Did you know there is something called a sexual narcissist? And sexual narcissism is defined as a grandiose sense of one's sexual prowess. 
It's not to say that everybody who brags about their sexual prowess is a sexual narcissist. There are certainly some signs, however, um, because certainly some people who may not feel so great about themselves or the size of something, they may actually brag about things, and that just is a sign of insecurity. If they don't have some of these other traits, you might be okay. But initially, any narcissist, whether they are a sexual narcissist or just a regular old narcissist, because a lot of narcissists are, are asexual, that's another show as well. Um, but the, a lot of narcissists are charming and romantic, but with a catch. So many sexual narcissists come across as alluring and attractive, they may be the ugliest person on the planet, but for some reason they have this charm that that is just uh, you know really difficult to um, uh, you know to avoid or to be attracted to, especially during the initial stages of the relationship because they are trying to win you over. So they are like master salesmen. They are charismatic. In fact, they have charisma on steroids, and they flatter you to make you feel special. And they might be flirtatious bring you gifts. If it's too good to be true, this one is definitely, um, you know, it is. This is when it is. If somebody wants to lift you off your feet, um, so that can be a sign. Excessive focus on performance and approval is another sign that you may be in a relationship with a sexual narcissist. Um, They are fixated on performance when they make love. They are more concerned with their performance than with you. Also, an excessive focus on physical over the emotional. The sexual narcissist style of lovemaking is often focused on appearance and image, and they have this keen dislike for flaws and weaknesses from themselves or their partner. And the, the lovemaking is actually less about two humans connecting together and synchronizing their hearts as one, uh, and more about measuring up to this idealized expectation. And also, if you feel that you exist exclusively to serve another person's needs, you may be in a relationship with a sexual narcissist. Do they put you down? These are, um, they can also be incredibly abusive. Um, And some people want the, they want someone else's light for their darkness. And so that's another sign. And these collectively may indicate you're in a relationship with a sexual narcissist. They also can react negatively when you don't give them what they want, or they treat you poorly or neglect you after sex, which can feel really bad for people. And so if you're feeling that, especially if that's repeated, I mean, occasionally it's going to happen, but depending on how much sex you have, but, um, but if you're feeling like, Hey, what was that? And it's, you know, you're feeling neglected. It may also be another sign. Um, infidelity, violence, and sexual addiction also play a role in sexual narcissism and in a recent study, participants rated higher for sexual narcissism are also more likely to engage in acts of infidelity, domestic violence. There's also some research to support. There's a link between male sexual narcissism and domestic violence. Doesn't mean that domestic violence is limited to men on for to women. It can be the other way, as we heard from the guys tonight. Sexual addiction also, there is some evidence to support that sexual addiction may be a reflection of sexual narcissism. Anyway, it's a much deeper subject. We're coming to the end of the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. My website, backtothebedroom.ca. Don't hesitate to email me about anything. It's been a pleasure to be here with you. Have a sexually healthy week. Matt, thanks so much for all of your help. And to all of you listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. Gotta love you. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you've been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.